I'm a 14-year-old, rail-thin vegetarian with an afro of red hair haloing my freckled face. My best friend, Kira, and I mostly like to hang out at her mom's tiny one-room cabin and play roommates. Unbeknownst to my own mother, Kira's mom is rarely home, spending most of her time at her boyfriend's beach house across the island that we live on. She's building a new house nearer to the main road, and when she's not at her boyfriend's, she's at the construction site up to her elbows in bricks and mud. This leaves Kira and I with a lot of time on our hands to come up with bad ideas, like the time we decided to sneak into the senior keg. Kira's older brother, a year out of high school himself, has been told the ultra-secret location of the senior keg. This is a party for graduating seniors, of which the sole mission is to drink copious amounts of beer. Why Steve, Kira's brother, thought it would be a good idea to tell his 14-year-old sister the location of the party is beyond me. But once we know, we feel compelled to go. It's like having a map to a secret treasure. The night of the party, we rock out to Adamat, Duran Duran, and Billy Idol while raiding Kira's mom's closet, putting on and taking off every conceivable variation of outfit and makeup possible. Given that we will be hiking two miles across the backbone of the island to get to the party, we make the only sane decision of the night and decide to wear white so we can best see each other in the dark. A boy that I have a crush on, Royce, will be at the party, a graduating senior. I've never actually spoken to Royce, but I would like to. Kira and I approach the party from a beach trail that I know, and as we get close, we are both astonished at the bacchanal before us. There's a large bonfire burning, and there are many kids all with plastic cups of beer in their hands. They are dancing, yelling, and shoving each other very near to the fire. The scene is chaotic and overwhelming to both of us. We soon find ourselves with cups of beer thrust into our hands and are shortly separated. I've never had alcohol before, and I soon find myself very drunk. A group of four guys have started taking other kids by their limbs and throwing them into the frigid Puget Sound. I'm terrified that I'll be thrown in, too. At some point, Royce has joined me but I'm too drunk and strange-feeling to care. I just want to go home. Royce offers to give me a ride back to Kira's on his motorcycle, and I like the steadying feeling of holding on to him as we ride past the tall trees on an otherwise untraveled highway. My next memories are strange fragments, illuminated and then dark again. My next clear memory is sitting up and finding that I'm naked. I have a new pain that I've never felt before, somewhere deep inside of me. Someone is crying, sobbing, and it takes me a long, disassociated time to realize it's me. I'm crying. It's pitch black. I'm very disoriented and extremely scared. I can't find my clothes or my shoes. Where are my clothes and shoes? My hands reach out and find bricks. And I realize I'm at the construction site. I stand, brush dirt and debris from my body, and I start walking naked down the long gravel driveway to Kira's cabin. I'm puking, stumbling, crying. 
I make it to the cabin, and I stay up the rest of that hard, strange night, waiting for Kira. She arrives at dawn, concerned but still drunk herself. We cobble together a plan to keep secret everything that happened that night. We never speak of it, nor do I see Royce again. It's 20 years later. And I've come back to my hometown to attend my granddad's funeral. I'm driving through the tiny town of my childhood, Port Hadlock, when I feel a strong pull to stop at the grocery store that is the center of the town. I've learned in those 20 years to pay attention to those pulls, and so I do stop. Needing nothing, I grab a pack of gum and head up to the register. There is Royce buying groceries. I take a deep breath, feel my stomach drop and my anger rise. I'm grateful that I'm wearing my good leather boots and my leather jacket. At least I look tougher than I feel. I pay for my gum, and I follow Royce out to his piece of shit truck where he's putting his groceries in the back of the pickup. He's on the driver's side, leaning over the groceries. Hey. I say. He looks up at me, and we stare steadily at each other for a few long moments. And then he speaks. He says, "I am so sorry. I'm stunned." He tells me that he's thought of me often. That he has two daughters, and how it would feel if what had happened to me happened to one of them. Royce, I say, it was a very ugly and frightening experience, and it took me a long time to get over it. He listens, and then I say, I forgive you. What had never occurred to me in all of those years is that the experience had happened to both of us, to two children. We had both been formed and changed by this. He got into his old truck and drove away, and I got into my car, and I cried and cried, but these tears were tears of joy. Thank you.